Welcome to the Arena Church podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. And I would encourage you, if you have a Bible or you've got your Bible on an electronic device, please uh, look at the references. If you're here this evening and you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a gift of a Bible. It's the most precious gift we could offer you and give to you. And we really would encourage you to just go over to the prayer point. Even if you don't want prayer this evening, you can just say, that man at the front said, I can have a Bible. And you can. So just take one. And it's our gift to you. Because this evening, I'm going to reference quite a few uh, Bible verses, if that's okay. Because part of my thought process of this week and preparing messages is... uh, has been really to uh, consider and reflect on the lead up to Friday. And of course, we have um, Easter Sunday, and we would encourage you to come on Easter Sunday because Friday doesn't make sense without Sunday, yes? But equally, without a death, there's no resurrection. So they're both equally important. So it's all part of the series. And we'd really encourage you, don't just think, well, I've done my bit tonight and that's it. I'm okay. I'm off the hook now. I'd encourage you to come on Sunday as well and be with us for that. But can I just for a moment just read a few verses? It's very unusual for me to read so many verses at the very beginning. But I want to just give a context. So just go with me. The words will come on the screen. And I want to read from Matthew in chapter 20. And I'm talking about the journey to the cross. It reads in verse 17, Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he'll be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked him a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by, by my father. When the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. Verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. And there were two blind men who were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. 
And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. And he asked, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. And immediately they received their sight and they followed him. I want us to catch for a few moments a glimpse of the lead up to Jesus going to the cross. I don't know whether you've asked the question, if you're a guest, first time visitor, you may not be a Christian, somebody who'd consider yourself to be a Christian or a church goer, but many people at this time may ask these kinds of questions. Well, what's the importance of Good Friday? Why is Easter Sunday so important? If you're asking these questions, hopefully I'll just give you a little bit of an understanding, something to help you to really grab hold of. Some of you need to understand as well because you may say, we don't even know much about Jesus. Who is this Jesus? What's the big deal about this Jesus? You've sung about him. It seems like numbers of people were really moved by what we're singing, but I don't get it. Well, hopefully I'll be able to help you to understand. Because Jesus, he's God. And Tim has already said, the world was and is and continues to be, be, and please, I'm not sitting in judgment over your life. I'm just making a very general statement. The world is in a mess. If you want to say, is it broken? I think it's broken. Tim used that phrase. It's lost, yeah. There's a lot of lostness. And there's lots of words that we could use to describe this world in which we live. But the reality is it's not just this decade, it's not just this generation. This has been every, every generation that has gone on before us. And the reason why we are in such a mess is because the world has not embraced the message of Good Friday and Easter Sunday. What do I mean by that? Well, there's something that weighs us all down. It's called sin. And by the way, there are lots of people trying to cancel different words. Again, I'm not being political. I'm not about to cancel the word sin. Neither am I wanting to point the finger because the reality is if I pointed the finger at you and said you are a sinner, I'm equally pointing the fingers back at me because I too am a sinner. We are all sinners. We're all broken. We're all lost. And Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth, God's Son, sent by the Father to provide a way of reconciliation back to God because the world was in a mess. And that is the reason for Good Friday because he hung upon a cross and we've, took, we've been through it. His body was broken. His blood was shed, poured out for our sins. He's made a way, friend, for you to be forgiven. He's made a way for you and I to be reconciled back to God. And God didn't just come and send Jesus just for here. He also sent it so we could have the promise of eternal, eternal life. I like to say it this way. Jesus came for here and there. We have to consider where there is. 
Because let me tell you, if you've never thought about it before, there is a there to come. And Jesus Christ has provided a way for us to live here in fulfillment and peace without the weight of sin holding us down. I don't know if anybody would be bold enough to say they were a sinner. I was. I had so much baggage, rucksacks, weighing me down. The sin was so heavy. It was only when Jesus Christ took my sin, when I offered it to him, and I received his forgiveness, I received peace. But I didn't just receive peace for now. I received an assurance of what is to come when I leave this earth. The promise is that I will be with him. So as we look at Jesus and as we look at the lead up to the cross, we must understand that the cross is not just something that we hang around our necks. I want to tell you before I just give five points, and I will be brief over every point. But you need to understand this evening, whether you're a Christ follower or whether you're just trying to figure out your life, we sometimes have these emblems around my neck and, and we think it's, we wear them decoratively and I'm not having a pop at anybody, but I just need to let you know that what you're wearing down around your neck is a, is, a, is a symbol of suffering. It's a symbol of execution. This is what Jesus endured. The entire picture of the cross is one of great suffering. Let me just quickly, if you're taking notes, the suffering from the disloyalty of his friends. Anybody ever felt the disloyalty of people? Jesus had it times by a million. The suffering from injustice, he had no reason. Even Pilate says, there's nothing. I can't put anything on him. The suffering from deliberate insult. Anybody ever had name calling? This went to a, a low level. How about the suffering of physical pain? And there are some people who really suffer even in our church. With, and you do a remarkable job by coming and serving and getting involved. But I want to say that the cross, the physical pain that he endured, there was nothing like it. And the suffering from great humiliation and shame. What I'm trying to help you to understand is Jesus, when he hung upon a cross, it was a place of suffering. But here's the thought that I was reflecting on. What did Jesus do as he faced the cross? I came across, as I was going through my notes deliberately, a great outline of 20 years old. And I want to use the outline this evening. I've made some changes. It wasn't my outline. It was another preacher's. But as they identified the story of Jesus... They and I and we are going to explore this a little bit more from what we've just read. Are you still with me? There are five things that Jesus did. Number one, it'll come on the screen, he carried on leading. Now there are three different perspectives of this journey through the gospel accounts. And I just want to take you for a moment to three of them. One we've already read. It says in Matthew 20 verse 17, now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. It says in Luke 9 verse 51 of the same uh, account, as the time approached for him, Jesus, to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. 
And in Mark 10, verse 33, it says this, they were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. Why is all this so important? Well, each of the writers of the Gospels are all making the same point, that Jesus carried on leading. Even though he knew what he was going to be facing, he faced it squarely. He took responsibility. I don't know if anybody's ever watched or does watch The Apprentice. I actually quite like it. It's entertaining. I mean, I don't know how stupid these entrepreneurs, if they're the brightest and the best potential entrepreneurs we have, then God help us. Please just go with me for a moment. I think there's a lot of bit of TV in there. But I actually quite like Lord Sugar. And he's got a bullish side to him. There's a bullish lead. But listen to me carefully. Jesus wasn't leading bullishly. This was a love lead. He was motivated by, by the love for the world. When he says he set out resolutely, there was a spring in his step. There was a determination. There was an intentionality. And he wasn't motivated by bullishness. He was motivated by love. When Jesus led the way, he saw our cares and our concerns, our fears, our failings and anxiety. And of course, this season has exposed so much anxiousness and fearfulness. And it feels like we go from one thing to another. Does anybody feel like that in the media? We go from one tragedy to another tragedy. Jesus came for every tragedy. Tragedy! Okay, we'll stop there. We're trying to be reflective. But when, it's, when I say he carried on leading, I want to tell you that the Bible says he leads us out in triumph. Because 2 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says this. But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession. What did Jesus do? He carried on leading. But secondly, he carried on looking forward. Part of what I have to do on occasions... And the team of pastors that we have here, we have to face death. It's one of the most difficult parts of my job. I find it really difficult, if I'm honest. It, depending on the circumstances, it takes me many hours and sometimes some days to recover. I've never expressed that from this platform, but it's true. And I've seen people who've been dying. And if you've ever experienced it, then you'll know what I'm talking about. Because oftentimes people know that they're dying. It's difficult for them to keep going. And Jesus knew what he was walking into. We've already read it. He knew what he was walking into. This didn't catch him by surprise. He knew what he, his whole sole purpose when he came to planet Earth was to die. But Jesus carried on looking forward. He was looking forward with hope. Jesus had his eye on the future. He was on his way to the place of death. But with the knowledge, hear me carefully, that death would not have the final word. Let me just give you a verse that I'm going to be uh, 
I've, I've actually shared online. That's not a thing for you to stay online. Please, you need to come to a live location if you can. But Acts chapter 2, verse 22, let me just, for a moment, just read these verses. And this is a message that Peter pre preached on the day of Pentecost when God did amazing things after Jesus had gone to the Father in heaven. And he says this, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God, by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as your, you yourselves know. And this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Verse 24, but God raised him from the dead. I believe that, friend. Please look to me for a moment before we go back to this. I honestly believe that. I know it's true in my life. God was, was crucified, but he has risen from the grave. And he says, freeing him from the agony of death. Listen carefully, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What did Jesus do? He carried on looking forward. But thirdly, and this is remarkable, he carried on teaching. This is another aspect to this story because the story that we've read at the beginning, there's stories within stories, there's layers within layers. Because we read the story, you may wonder, why did I read this? Well, there was an ambitious mum. Any ambitious mums here? Don't answer that, please. Any loving mums here? Yes, of course. There was a loving mom, but there was also an ambitious mom. And she was ambitious for her two sons to find the best place with Jesus. Now, instead of Jesus responding to her, putting her down, he could have been very dismissive because what she was asking was inappropriate. And by the way, it was so inappropriate because he just told her he was about to die. Did you see a response? She just passed on. She was just wanting to make sure her boys were going to be okay. <laughs> But this is what Jesus did. He carried on teaching because in that moment, he used it as a teaching moment. I wonder if this is a teaching moment for some of you here this evening. You need to hear some of this. Because Jesus doesn't talk about his resurrection, his death. What he actually says is this. Okay. This is what you, need to be under, what you need to understand. Whoever wants to be great amongst you must be a servant. And then he goes on to say, For the Son of Man, talking of himself, did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Listen to me carefully. Jesus in that moment carried on teaching. Teaching right to the very end. <laughs> But fourthly, he carried on caring. Because I'm, let me take you now to the final part of the story that we read together. And this is all interconnected as he's walking into Jerusalem. Because we see the encounter with two blind men. And he says in Matthew 20 verse 34, and I love this, that Jesus looked at them with compassion. The reality is, compare that to the crowd. The crowd had no compassion, even the disciples. Because what were the disciples doing, the crowd doing? They were telling them to be quiet. 
I know, Caroline, we're not allowed to say this, but they were saying, shut up. <laughs> we're not allowed to say that in our house, okay. Even though we want to. And I'm sure Caroline wants to even say it to me at times, but she doesn't. Jesus had compassion. The crowd tried to silence these poor blind men. The people were dismissive, but Jesus, listen to me carefully, Jesus cared. Terry, Jesus cares. Even though he was about to enter the most grueling time of his life, the pain, the agony, the temptation, and assault, but he cared. He didn't think, if this is my time to get ready, I need to be thinking about myself, what I'm about to go into and what I'm about to enter. But there's many references to the thought that he poured himself out. Philippians 2 uses this phrase. It'll come on the screen, verse 7, talk, verse seven talking of Jesus. It says there, Paul reminding the church at Philippi that Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant and being, being made in human likeness. What I'm trying to encourage you in this truth is, what did Jesus do? He carried on caring. And lastly, he carried on doing the will of the Father. And this is where we come to the grand finale. This is where we come to Good Friday. This is where we come to the hour. The final moments. Because it says that they cruelly and brutally smashed his body. So disfigured his face that he was unrecognizable. And he carried the cross and they, he was hung between two thieves, common thieves. And John 19 verse 23 to 30. It says this, when the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes. Verse 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Verse 28, later knowing that everything had now been finished and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. And a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on the stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. And verse 30, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And with that, John records, who was writing this, that he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is proof that Jesus was committed to doing the will of the Father. Jesus led, Jesus looked forward, Jesus taught, Jesus cared, Jesus finished. As we just draw it to a close, I've been singing this song of this week, a hymn. I've loved singing it, I've, I've mulled it. People around me might not have enjoyed hearing me sing it, but I've enjoyed it. And even if you're a 
a person who's not in church, the likelihood is you probably would have heard this song sung because there are four sentences in it that says this. When I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride where every realm of nature mine my gift will still be far too small. Love so amazing, so divine. Listen carefully. Demands my soul, my life, my all. So as I draw this message to a close, let me leave. I'm going to race through these, but you need to write them down. And listen to me. If you're not writing, you need to listen carefully. Because I don't think we can address the cross and have the spirit of Christ that's in this room wooing people to himself without us saying there, there, there needs to be a response that we offer to God. Because what has this taught me as I've reflected? You've just got my reflections how should I respond? Seven things. If you've never done this before, I want to encourage you to do so. As you look at the wondrous cross, number one, freely receive his abundant love and grace with gratitude. Yes, you're not deserving. While she was still a sinner, we all were. Christ died for us. Number two, follow his example. Those five things. Follow his example. Thirdly, adopt his attitude in life and in death. None of us know how long we have here. None of us know how we're going to die. But may we die. And may we live like Jesus. Number four, be deliberate in daily actions. If I can be really bold with you, some of you are wasting your time on things that don't matter. Some of you are wasting your time on activities that are of no consequence. Be deliberate in your daily actions. Number five, understand every moment matters. I could give you a number of illustrations. It even happened this afternoon as my grandson and daughter and son-in-law just went down the thing and I was busy doing something in the garden and I just thought to myself, the thought came, I need to do this. But they go and I thought, and this sounds morbid, I may never get this time to see them again. So I'm going to make sure I dropped what I was doing and just walked around. Why? Because every moment matters. Number five, fulfill the word of God for your life. God has a purpose for every one of you doesn't matter how old you are. You may say, my life's gone. Yeah, let me tell you, God is able to do something amazing and he's able to do something in your life in just a matter of months that will wipe out your entire existence before. Does that make sense? And lastly, seek to please the Lord. I so want to please the Lord. I so want to please the Lord. I want to be like Jesus that fulfills the will of God for my life. What will your response be?